What people have wrong with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, how to continue Maslow's theory of transcendence, and the difference between deficiency needs versus growth needs all coming right up. This is episode number 173 with human psychologist, author, and speaker, Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My mission is to help you gain clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like and then provide you with the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person become a reality. Today, I bring you Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, the author of his newest book, Transcend. He's going to tell you all about his revised hierarchy of needs. Be sure to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you to let me know that you're listening. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am so fired up today to have Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman with me today. So Dr. Kaufman, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Uh, my pleasure. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, it definitely will be. Um, well, I want to make sure I uh, introduce you fully. So I'm going to go through a couple things here. So Dr. Scott Kaufman is a human psychologist who explores the depths of human potential. Uh, you're a speaker and you're an author of the book that I just finished called Wired to Create, Unraveling the Mysteries of the Creative Mind. But you have a brand new book coming out on April 7th, which I'm so stoked to get into. It will have already been released by the time this podcast is out, and it's called Transcend, The New Science of Self-Actualization, and you talk about it as a bold reimagining of Maslow's famous hierarchy of needs. And basically, to kind of introduce you a little bit further, because I do feel like this is essential to kind of give people a little bit of context, I loved your your TED Talk that you gave a couple of years ago, A New Theory of Human Intelligence, and I'm going to kind of run through a little bit of you. So at age three, you developed a central auditory processing disorder. And you basically had special education from grade three to grade nine until you had a a teacher kind of come up to you saying, I see you, I see how frustrated you are. And that's kind of when you started taking regular classes and that sort of thing. And then you applied to Carnegie Mellon University and you got rejected initially, but then through your own creativity and your own pursuit, you were able to go to Carnegie Mellon (laughs) starting as as an opera major and then found your way in psychology, graduated there, went to Yale, got a PhD, at Yale and your dissertation was on a new theory of human intelligence, which is what your TED talk was about. And I just want to give everybody a little bit of context there because I think it's really important to to know that going into your story. So make sure if you haven't listened to that TED talk yet that you go listen to it. But basically the way I want to officially start is your book is called Transcend. And you talk a lot about in this last book, creativity. And there's probably a lot of that research that goes into your upcoming book as well, but what was really the spark to be like, I need to write a book on this? Yeah, that's a great question. I was preparing a course on positive psychology at University of Pennsylvania. Angela Duckworth, who many people know may know through her book, bestselling book, Grit, she taught the course at Penn. And when she was working on the book, Grit, uh, she asked me would I like to teach it uh, while she was away. And I thought about it for a millisecond. <laughs> I was like, yes. Right. And and it was a great experience to, to teach that class. But when I was preparing for the history section of that class, I started to look through some of the earlier writings of the humanistic psychologists in the 50s and 60s, because they were a great precursor to the field of positive psychology. And I came across people like Abraham Maslow and Carl Rogers and Eric Fromm and Karen Hornay and 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 Raul May, a, whole, a, a group of people who were studying 
what's best within us, you know, relevant to your own podcast themes, but by looking at the whole person, not by looking at, you know, just what's best within you, but ignoring the rest of you, you know, they're really interested in sort of how can we integrate and become self-actualized humans? How can we become everything that we're capable of becoming in life? And I just fell in love with that approach to psychology. And I started to dive into Abraham Maslow's theories and writings. Many people may have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, mm-hmm. or seen it diagrammed on Facebook with the Wi-Fi at the bottom or something, yeah. some cheeky sort of fashion. And I just had a, such a fondness for the writings of Maslow. And I looked at his personal journals, realized he was working on a whole theory of transcendence towards the end of his life that many people don't know of. And also his hierarchy of needs is misrepresented. And I got excited and, and felt a purpose to kind of realize his vision, but also realize my own vision, if I may, right. of, of what humans could be. Okay, gotcha. So one thing that I saw you talk about in the video is this difference between deficiency needs versus growth needs. And I really thought that that was such an important topic. And a lot of us are stuck in kind of the deficiency goals rather than setting more growth goals. So I guess I just want you to start by talking about the difference between deficiency needs and growth needs. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm really glad you said that because a lot of people who focus on the hierarchy of needs focus on it as like this this pyramid that that's like a trek up a mountain of some sort. And, right. and you have to get one level done. Like life, also like life is a video game that you get a level done and then you get, and then once you reach that level of like connection, then some voice from above is like, congrats, you've unlocked self-esteem. And then you go to the next one and then you don't have to worry about connection anymore. You're done with connect. And that's, you know, not how Maslow represented. In fact, Maslow never even drew a pyramid. Right. <laughs> People don't even know that. What he really emphasized was this dialectical tension between growth and safety. Um, and the opposite of safety is, is, is deprivation or defense. We have a lot of things in our lives that when we're deprived of them, we erect a lot of defense mechanisms. So let's say we're deprived of, of respect. You know, we'll, we'll be overly sensitive to disrespect. You know, if someone says something to us we don't like or criticizes us, we'll, we'll go in, oh, hell no mode, you know? Right. And that, that's what I call technically the oh, hell no mode. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but that, that ultimately limits our growth. You know, if we want to really become the best uh, person we can be, we will have to overcome and transcend that ego in, in some way uh, and, and, and not operate or be motivated from a sense of deprivation, but be motivated by growth and wholeness and integration. So you think a lot of people, when they set goals kind of unknowingly or subconsciously, they set goals based off of the things that they're deprived of? Oh, for sure. Uh, most people. Right. From an evolutionary perspective, deprivation is a lot more powerful than growth because it's a lot, a lot more it's at stake when we're deprived. You know, it's, it, it all takes as one lion to rip our head off, you know? And, and, and so, and, and so what, at what point then do we, cause it sounds like we need to set some goals based off of deprivation, but at what point maybe is that not helpful, I guess? Yeah. Well, it depends how much can you, to a reasonable degree, satisfy your basic needs. Certainly, it is wise to create goals that allow you to satisfy 
your basic needs like security, connection, self-esteem to a certain degree. But the goal, the ultimate goal shouldn't be to just go from negative 20 to zero and then you're done. You know, there's so much we can be to go from zero to 50. Mm. And we forget that sometimes. We spend so much of our lives focused on securing the boat, so to speak. And this is the metaphor I have in my book about the sailboat that we miss the the beauty of the ocean that we could sail through if we if we could just open our sails so it's uh it's important to address our needs but it's also important to work towards growth goals and that's and those are goals that will lead to greater greater purpose a sense of meaning in your life will will uplift everyone around you not just yourself yeah. So I think the one of the biggest things that people struggle with in terms of setting goals is how to set the right goal. And another way that you I've heard you talk about it is you we kind of want to make sure that we set a goal that's in alignment with our true self. But as you discovered that we don't really have a true self, we have a lot of different selves that kind of make us feel alive or make us feel in alignment, if you will, if, I, if I'm going to use that term. How do we go about setting a right goal that is in alignment with one of ourselves if yeah if that makes sense yeah you have best selves for sure you know maybe there's not one you know one best you but you can have multiple best yous right, right. and you you can know when you can feel it you can feel when you're going in the direction of growth and when you're simply doing something because you're trying to just have relief. You know, if I have a pounding headache, I'm getting the Advil and I'm excited about the Advil, not because it's going to help me flourish in life, mm-hmm. but all I care about in that moment is not having the pounding headache. I'm not reaching for the Advil for the best me. But So what are we reaching for in our lives that will lead to, to, to actualize the best within us? And it, and it usually is things that uh, involve contribution to society that involve mastery of skills that we can have great healthy pride in um, that give us a sense of exploration or curiosity as opposed to fear. When we move in those directions, we tend to be bringing out best aspects of ourselves. Mm, okay, gotcha. I like that. And so this is, this is, this is your whole podcast name. Oh, Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, I know. I think I, where's, where's the quote I had written down somewhere, but written, I think on your website, it's like Kaufman's new hierarchy of needs provides a roadmap for finding purpose and fulfillment, not by striving for money, success, or happiness, but by becoming the best version of ourselves. (laughs) I was like, this is perfect. Yay. What a good Uh, fit. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I want to kind of touch on, you, you talked about the boat real quick. So basically your new hierarchy, if you will, is in the structure of a sailboat, not in the structure of this pyramid that that people created. So I want you to kind of talk a little bit about why the sailboat and talk about the different aspects of it. You want me to give away the uh, the mysteries of trans... There it is, I'm going to hold it up! I'm going to hold it up! <laughs> you, you, you have to give... You got to give just enough to where it makes people want to go by. <laughs> There's my new book, The Nestor Char Tarts. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was up to that. Yeah. So we have 
you know, the, the sailboat is a great metaphor for, for life because we're all swimming in this vast unknown of the sea together. We're all in this together, but we're all, you know, going in our own direction and we can't fully traverse the unknown of the sea without being able to open our sails and growing. And, and, and that's what I see as representing growth. But we had to first secure our boat and the boat, the metaphorically, psychologically speaking, the, the needs that are really important for security are the needs for, for safety, for connection and self-esteem. And then once we can open our sail, we can come from a place of exploration, uh, universal love, uh, Maslow, Abraham Maslow called it being love, love for the being of others, uh, even if we don't even like them, you know, being able to love them and, and, and having a sense of purpose or meaningfulness. When we can really move in that direction, we can reach these wonderful moments of peak experience, moments of transcendence that are rare, but they are the things that make life worth living. Gotcha. So you, I know there's some kind of tools or different strategies or tips that people in your book that people can use to to try to become or to realize more about themselves, become more self-actualized. I don't know if that's the right, the verb to be using, but what are some of those strategies? I don't want to reveal the whole book, but what are some things that people can do to start to reveal to themselves as to what they should be pursuing and what those growth goals should look like? Hmm. Well, a big, a big emphasis of the, of the book, and I do have a whole appendix on exercises, growth challenges that people can do. A big focus is to be able to accept yourself and your whole self, not just the sides of you that, that make you feel good about yourself but really going in with piercing awareness into what are the things that might be limiting you or holding you back. On my website, I have a set of free resources and personality tests that you can take, self-actualization tests that you can take to kind of learn about maybe some of your deficiencies as well as your greatest strengths. So I think a lot of it is is, is self-honesty. Self-honesty is a big one that people are not very good at by default because we erect all these defenses. It's always the other person's problem, you know, or, or they're always the narcissist, you know, you, you notice in those things, you're never the, you're never the narcissist. Yeah, <laughs> it's always yeah. the, it's always the, the other person. Well, we're all narcissistic to a large degree mm-hmm. because we're all stuck here behind these eyeballs. Uh, well, you're stuck behind your own eyeballs, but um, we're all stuck. And, and that's the perspective upon which we're stuck from. And to be able to do exercises, meditation and, and communication, really listening to people from all walks of life to really broaden your perspective of, on humanity and, and help enrich the circle upon which you can connect with your fellow humans. These are all things that will really help you at the end of the day with your own journey of self-actualization and growth. So I'm going to ask you kind of a, a, a personal question. What is maybe one of the most, it's not, it's not weird. It's not weird, but it is pertaining just to your life. What is one of the most important decisions that you've made earlier on in your career that was super important, but you didn't realize the significance of it until later? Well, I think taking myself 
out of special education in ninth grade. I, I, I didn't see the, the whole rest of my life before me, but I saw that I had greater potential in that moment to be challenged and to study things and to learn. And I mean, if I didn't take myself out of special education in ninth grade, as I like to joke, I broke out of special ed, then I don't, I think I would just be at this remedial level of everything in my life. And even up to this point, sometimes we need to take a risk and dare, dare to be great, I guess, or dare to, dare to be fully human. I think I like that better. Yeah, I like that. I like that too. So I'm going to dive into something that you talked about and wired to create that I thought was really, uh, really key to kind of creativity and along with creativity, getting closer to the best version of yourself. There, it's, and there was a quote that it was a lot about complexity, that there's this balance of thought and action, of dreaming and doing, of inspiration and hard work in terms of being the, the most creative person that you can be or getting close to the best version of yourself. I kind of want you to talk about that balance between thought and action and how that plays a role into getting closer to the most creative or best self. Oh, yeah, constantly toggling between moments of solitude and and meaning-making and then sharing it with the world. You know, The Wire to Create really talks about creators, but we focus a lot on artistic, you know, writers and artists. And we do try to talk about scientists a little bit in terms of inventions and discovery. Um, and I guess there is a common thread among all of that is that it does require periods of of open, great openness to experience, not knowing what you're going to discover, but being open to encountering lots of different things. And then periods of solitary reflection and and meaning making about the experience. There's a great field, a really important field of positive psychology called post-traumatic growth, showing that we can process our traumas in a certain way that ultimately leads to growth across various dimensions, like greater sense of meaning in life, greater sense of spirituality or, uh, or creativity. And there's research showing post-traumatic traumas can lead to greater creativity. So being open to these experiences and, and, and really being open to processing their and, and finding new meanings in them is a big part of the creative process for sure. Wow, it's been so long since I've talked about Wired to Create. I feel like yeah. I just went at a time warp. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, and, and it's funny because kind of what you just brought up and it's, it's brought up a decent amount in the book, but it's very pertainable to what we're going through right now. We're going through this really crazy time. And, you know, if, if we're looking at it as a traumatic experience, like people can either come out of it with with growth or come out of it as as not as good so what what do you think is the difference between somebody who's like going to come out of a tough situation better versus worse you made me think of like growth or gnaw yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what you just said <laughs> i didn't know that's i didn't funny, know. like hashtag no that should be funny hashtag growth or gnaw yeah <laughs> i didn't know how i wanted to describe the people who were not going to come out as uh, as growing Oh, no, I feel you. I feel you. I just, um, it's funny. Uh, but what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just, so what's the difference between somebody who's going to come out of 
a negative situation on the positive side of it or the negative situation on the flip side of it? Well, people who don't tend to show post-traumatic growth after trauma tend to ruminate in a very unhealthy way on a problem. They're not processing it in a meaning-making sort of way. They're ruminating on it. It's intrusive. They have a lot of intrusive thoughts. They unproductively keep replaying the scene over and over and over again in the same exact way without trying to discover new meanings to it. But there, but those who do tend to grow from the experience, and it may take time, uh, this is certainly a process, are those that keep a daily journal that really try to intentionally look for the larger patterns and, and think about in a proactive way how that experience can help them moving forward make the world a better place, uh, maybe give them a, a newer, a, a greater sense of mission in life and, and, and things of that nature. Gotcha. Gotcha. I like that. Yeah. I think it's all about being able to take a step back and, and have perspective. Like we kind of talked about a little bit before, before the podcast, having a, a sense of hilarity or, or, or uh, a comical outlook a little bit on, on different things. Yeah. yeah. We had a wild, a wild pre, recording session yeah, yeah of jokes <laughs> <laughs> super wild super wild so what what's maybe one of the biggest pieces of research or biggest findings that you discovered in writing transcend that you are applying most in your life oh you know maslow talked about peak experiences as these wondrous moments that make life worth living, but he also talked about plateau experiences. And, and that's more cultivating a sense of, as Maslow put it, lounging in heaven, but not getting so excited about it. <laughs> you know, walking around and sort of appreciating all the littlest things with a newness of appreciation and with a sense of wonder and awe and curiosity even for things that you've seen every single day over and over and over again, renewing that sense of, of wonder. I've been trying to practice that. How have you gone about practicing it? You can't help but practice it when you're self-isolated and you see the same damn thing every day of your life. But, <laughs> you know, like, but, but, you know, like looking at my coffee mug, I look at it, I drink it every day and, and I am constantly discovering new patterns of the fabric that's on this coffee mug. I mean, well, isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it is. It's super intricate. That's for sure. And, you know, as I'm drinking my coffee, I can discover new meanings out of it. I, I see the same, same thing every single day. Now, if I'm in self-isolation too long, I'll probably run out of beauty. And now I'm, I'm joking. That's just my dark humor. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's one of these things you really, you really can practice the fine art of renewing your one recycling wonder <laughs> yeah yeah no i i like that i think i feel like it's probably a a practice that you use you have to find a way to start it and then the more you do it the more you do it the more you do it the more you'll be able to see different things in a different way that you hadn't seen it before yeah and a lot of it takes uh taking yourself out of the equation literally yourself you're, you're you know and in admiring 
your attentional field, everything in your attentional field with no judgment, like you would watch a sun. You know, you don't watch a sun and you say, I'd like to move the corner a little bit that way. And if only the sun was up four inches higher, then you don't try to change it. This is kind of like a quote that Carl Rogers talks about here. He makes that point. Well, how often do we treat humans like that? You know, we, we often treat humans, our fellow humans, how they purpose they serve for us, as opposed to just admiring them for their own journey of self-actualization. Yeah. So I kind of want to, I kind of want to dive back into your discovery or your study of that. We don't really necessarily have a true self, but we have sub selves and what kind of led you to, I guess, discovering that. I just wanted you to talk a little bit about what that really means. Yeah, there's, when you look at the psychological literature, it's very hard to find support for the notion there is one real self within you. What you do find is that humans have all sorts of biases and and defenses to make us feel good about ourselves. And one of the greatest self-illusions we have is that our best self is only the self that makes us feel best about ourselves, or that the real self, the real self is our best self. Well, I don't know how you can make a case objectively that your real self is your best self. When you're doing something, doing some crazy shit, you know, the night before you're drunk, and the next day you wake up and remember all the crazy shit, and you're like, oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> that wasn't the real me. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was not it was not the sides of yourself that you like it was a real aspect of you that that you might want to decide whether or not you want to change it at all and so we're, we're, we're this hodgepodge of contradictory modules from an evolutionary point of view there's so many different wants and needs and, and some some aspects of ourselves have a mind of their own that totally at odds with another another side of ourself you know as abraham as said we walk around often with a civil war fighting within us you know and it's 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 tough to integrate and to reach to become greater than the whole than the sum of our parts but i think we can you know we can transcend our the individual parts of ourselves to have a a whole unit that is operating fully functioning and flourishing but it's tough when we have all these different sides of ourselves that are competing with each other. And so how do we find a way to, is it, is it trying to discover the different parts of ourselves that are competing and try to find a way that, to have them run parallel and not have them competing? Is that the best way to talk about it? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of the integration process is really about acceptance. You know, we fight ourselves unnecessarily all the time because we have the sense of perfection that we have to be perfect or that we can't or that we think some things are contradictory that that are not really contradictory it happens to a lot of people that happens a lot of people will will go to therapy sessions and report that within within the sexual domain you know we don't have to go too deep into that topic but people you know will be like i'm into this and this and how could i be when i'm I, you know, it's at odds with the self, the larger self concept, you know, and 
and then they and then and then they start to like you know, and you find that also you know people who are coming out with certain you know with the LBTG community or LBT I'm forgetting all the letters sorry <laughs> apologize LBTQ there's a lot but um, a lot a lot of you know them they they haven't really fully accepted those sides of themselves so they're fighting this war within themselves but I, th- I just think that like the more that people and that's just one example of that domain but we can build up to other domains i'm not we're not just have to stick in that domain but really accepting the totality of your being is so important and not viewing all these things at odds within with each other because when we do view them at odds it means we haven't accepted them you know and and of course accepting doesn't mean like or that we don't want to change some things but Accepting means accepting that they're there and they're they're part of you, and in a lot of ways, a lot of the things we most fear about ourselves turn out to be not things to be feared at all. A lot of patients went to Carl Rogers, the humanistic psychotherapist, and a lot, a lot of patient complaints were, "I'm very scared that I that if I if I accept too much of myself, I'll release the beast within me." <laughs> This is a phrase that, Matt, that 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 Carl Rogers talked about. A lot of people are afraid of that. There's some beast deep down inside. This is a common human fear. I don't know if you you've ever personally had that fear in in some of your darkest moments, but 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 it's a common human fear. And 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 you find that very rarely when you go through the psychoanalytic process or this or uh, whatever psychotherapy orientation you use, the process of therapy of accepting all sides of yourself very rarely is, is, is a beast unleashed. In fact, what usually happens is people feel more in control of their whole self than they ever have before and feel a greater sense of peace and ability to regulate themselves. It's actually quite the opposite. It's what we fear the most that is actually what we need to go most toward. Mm. There's some deep shit right here I'm throwing at you. Yeah, no, I, no, I like it. I'm going to I'm going to stay on it. So if if accepting this beast if you will is one of the biggest struggles that a lot of us have, then outside of going to therapy, what are some ways that people can practically work on starting to accept the things that they don't accept about themselves? Well, I do have a whole appendix of exercises, <laughs> uh, 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 but I mean, I can read one. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to be that guy who's like read my book. But I'm saying, can maybe I can read one. We can do what I can read it. Okay. Give give away give away yeah. exercise. I like uh, it. Be hel- would that be helpful? How about explore your dark side? My oh, students, my students love this one. Okay. I I have this growth challenge and. Students report this being one of their best ones, favorite ones. The latest research suggests the importance of not only cultivating positive emotions and events in our lives, but also accepting and exploring our most difficult or uncomfortable emotions, acknowledging them non-judgmentally, and hopefully finding a healthy outlet for them. For instance, emotions like pride, guilt, anger, or embarrassment can serve as cues that we may find useful in repenting, resolving a conflict, or evaluating the reasons for these negative emotions so that we may respond to them. Similarly, features of our lives that may sometimes feel to us like scars, such as struggling with physical or mental illness, harboring a particular insecurity, and so on, can actually become sources of great strength, giving us a unique ability to help or understand other people. This activity involves reacting mindfully to our own uncomfortable emotions or life experiences and thinking about ways to harness these emotions for optimal growth and creativity. So you can start a journal and reflect upon your, quote, dark side using a bunch of questions as a guide. You know, what might come to mind when thinking about your own dark side? 
What are a few situations in their life that make you feel particularly negative? Uh, for example, time spent in a particular place with certain people, things you often dread but have to do, et cetera. The key here, and there, there's more, there's more, but um, you can buy the book if you want to know more. But, but um, the key, the point here is awareness, awareness, awareness. This is just the theme of, of everything is the more that you take the darkness and put it into the light, the, the, the less power the darkness has over you. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that that's awesome. I can't wait to, to dive into uh, those different action steps and things like that. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no of course of course so i had somebody ask me the other day who i was talking to and about how my podcast is called best you and they asked me a question and i was like is that like how did you even ask that question well of course this it's important but they said like they asked me why should we be working towards the best version of ourselves? And to me, it's like everybody, that should be an easy question to answer. But I was like, huh, if that's the name of my podcast, I should think a little bit more about that. And so I've thought about it more and written about it a little bit more. But I'm going to, I want to ask the same question to you. What is the purpose and the reason that we should be working towards the best version of ourselves? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But, well, I think a good. I'll give you, I'll give you mine once, once you, once you uh, go for yours. That way you don't get a cop out answer. Well, what's <laughs> but what's the what's the alternative, really? You know, if as long as you're alive, you, you know, you might as well make good choices for your organism, <laughs> and and for you know, you want to maximize your happy your your fulfillment uh, as much as possible. But also doing that and working on your best you or best use, as the Italians in South Philadelphia would say, best use <laughs> would. That was a little South Philly joke. But, um, uh, you know, in order in order to do that, it, while you're doing that, you're actually simultaneously helping the world. I mean, you're helping to make the world a better place by, by doing so. It, it, it's only going to be a win-win situation. But, yeah, I, I just think, what is the alternative? You know, to, you, you make conscious decisions and choices you know while we're here in this short fleeting moment of 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 the history of earth you know why not (laughs) yeah no i think my my answer is pretty pretty similar in in the grand scheme of things i think i truly believe that it's kind of our duty and our responsibility to do that both for ourselves and for society because if we do that then we will in the grand scheme of things, suffer less. We're not going to be as in as much in pain as we already are or or could be. And by us being in less pain, everybody else also will be have less suffering and using suffering in like a general general term. But I think that we will suffer less, and those around us will suffer less, and the world will suffer less because we're all so interconnected. So I think that it's our duty and responsibility to do that. And yeah, that's the quickest answer that, I, that I've got. Yeah, taking responsibility is, is is huge. Have you had Jordan? Have you had Jordan Peterson on your show yet? I have not, but that's that's probably where that answer just came out came out of. Do you follow him? Oh yeah, to a T, to a T. Yeah. So b- b- down to the last couple of questions. So I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself for me. Yeah. 
the the reason that I I think it's my pursuit every single day to gain a little bit more clarity on what the best version of myself looks like and what the best version of myself is capable of. And then the goal for me every single day is once I gain a little bit more clarity, find ways to reverse engineer him to make him a reality. And so one of the questions I've started to ask myself and then I'm going to ask you that I've found is really important is, is there a particular skill or piece of knowledge that you can see the best version of yourself having that you don't currently have? And that's for you, uh, a personal question for you. Oh boy. What, what am I, what are my deficiencies? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. You can look at it that way. Um, or maybe not, not what's a deficiency. What's a growth goal that you have not yet yeah. achieved? Yeah. I mean, I just don't want to be distracted so much. I, I, I don't, I've never been formally diagnosed with ADHD, but you can tell <laughs> this call that I, 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 I find it difficult to concentrate sometimes. And, I I do I do try my a uh, mindfulness practice, which which does help me greatly, but I'm really I'm really working toward being able to really stay as present as possible in a moment. My mind goes off in a million different directions, and sometimes it can be quite funny, but sometimes it's inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> are you doing? Are you like intentionally doing it? I guess mindfulness training is that the way you're kind of trying to practice that right now. Right now, I'm on I'm working on Sam Harris's app on 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 the on the iPhone, and uh, I've been finding it very helpful. Do you do you follow okay. Sam Harris's work? I do. I do, I do not. not. Yeah. I do not. I'll have to look at where that. where are you where are you based? Nashville. Oh wow, so interesting. I've never been to Nashville. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. It's a great place. Great place. Quiet right now, but so is everywhere. Well, before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you for. First off, just kind of your experiences, how you've gotten to where you are. You've, I feel like you've overcome so many obstacles through especially kind of childhood and through college and that sort of thing too. And I'm sure after that, but there wasn't a TED talk on the, the obstacles that you've come overcome since then. And I just think that your relentless pursuit is so unique because I feel like you kind of had a sense of your true selves or your your best selves at a at a pretty young age because you know you said you wanted to redefine what it means for or what human intelligence really is and how it's measured at such a young age and for you to be practicing that have a TED talk on it and continue to dive deeper and deeper into the research into human potential and things like that I think that's so cool that you were able to discover that at a young age and continue to pursue that Oh, thank you. That was that was one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me in my entire life. So, <laughs> thank you. Awesome. I feel seen. I feel seen. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, make sure everybody go watch this TED Talk. I've already mentioned it a number of times now, but we'll watch this TED Talk on YouTube. Go to scottberrykaufman.com to learn more about him, to get the book. It is already released. Uh, once by the time you listen to it, released April 7th, you can find it everywhere books are sold Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that good stuff. So uh, is there any anywhere else that people should go learn more about you and support you and all, all that kind of stuff? Uh, check out uh, my podcast, uh, the Psychology mm. Podcast. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that would be great. How often do you guys release episodes? Every Thursday, every Thursday. And also check out, um, I'm active on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> and uh, scottberrykaufman.com, you may have already mentioned. Sweet. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. So 
The last question is I do believe that becoming closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey. Like you said, that like that sailboat, you're never getting to that destination and it's it's never I've won the game or game over or anything like that. It's a constant journey. And then I also believe it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to be get to the best version of myself or closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So what I want to ask again for you is if you could currently do or work on three things to get closer to the best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could currently do or work on? Get out into nature more <laughs> and, and get into more expansive environments where you see uh, you get outside of your unlimited narrow perspective. So that would also involve going towards people who have differing opinions from you, you know, getting outside of your echo chamber or your bubble. Uh, there's no, there's no saying you, you're not allowed to, to listen to the people who disagree with you. <laughs> like you're right. allowed to listen to them. You don't have to immediately start fighting with them. <laughs> so listening and uh, nature and also practicing having a practice of loving kindness meditation, I really think is important. And, and even having meditating loving kindness on your enemies and uh, wishing them well, because if, if they're well, then, then they'll be making a world a better place. So ultimately we should have our best wishes for everyone on this planet. Awesome. I love it. That's all we got. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this special episode with Dr. Kaufman. Make sure that you share this episode with someone who is very self-improvement focused. Be sure to send this to someone who is attacking the best version of themselves and always looking to get better. Be sure to send it to a family member, friend, or coworker and brighten their day with these positive messages. And be sure to check out Dr. Kaufman's brand new book at scottberrykaufman.com. Transcend is the book. For now, it's time. It's time to take action. It's time to transcend towards the best version of ourselves because we were all meant to be someone greater than who we currently are. So let's work to close that gap between our current selves and our best selves day after day. I'm on the journey and I hope you are too so we can go together to your best you.